Fields of Home by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1953. Thank you, Lord, for the, the dry weather we had today after this, sort of the rain and some snow. It's uh, good to see the sunshine. Thank you for Richard's good weekend away, and I pray that um, as we go into the rest of this week that we would uh, be willing to serve well and that each of us would be found in exactly the right place doing the work of being given to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So the trolley ride from Bath to Lisbon Falls seemed longer than ever before. I didn't go to grandfather's by either the Ridge Road or the County Road. At the edge of town, I turned into a path that led toward the, uh, little, toward the wooded hills to the northwest. The path turned west after I'd followed it into the woods, so I left it and picked my way through the underbrush in the direction I thought would bring me out at the farm. Twice, I had to make a wide circle when I found swampy ground, and once I had to fight through heavy junipers and brush to get across a brook. By the time I got across, there was mud up to the tops of my shoes, and my suitcase and bundles felt as if they weighed a ton. I had scratched my face and hands on twigs and bushes and was sure I'd got twisted somewhere in my directions. The only sensible thing to do seemed to be to turn east, get to the county road, and follow it to the four corners. I changed my direction and had gone about 100 yards through a thick stand of hemlocks when I came out into an open space. The ground was sandy and there was sparse hay on it. Across the open space, there was a brook with the alders growing along the banks, and the grass was trampled at the edge of a gravelly bend. It was the place Annie Littlehale had shown me, where the raccoon washed his food at the far end of Grandfather's hidden field. When I'd gone to walk with Annie, I'd only known that I liked to be with her and had noticed only the things that she had pointed out to me. Now, coming onto the spot so suddenly, just when I decided I was lost, made it look beautiful. After I'd drunk from the brook, I crossed it on the stones and hurried through the pines to the edge of the lower hidden field. I had never noticed before how much it looked like the inside of a great cathedral. Tall pines walled at the back and on both sides, and the morning sunshine streaming through their upper branches looked like the tinted light that comes through high church windows. Through the hemlock woods and the maple grove, tree after tree that I didn't know I'd ever that I didn't know I'd ever noticed before stood like old friends waiting to welcome me home. There was the hemlock Annie had been standing behind when I'd seen her watching the squirrel, the maple he'd been playing in, and the three great oaks that grew from the single stump. At the high field, the row of stones I'd piled against the orchard wall was just as I'd left it, but the stone rake had been used. From the footprints, Old Nell had been hitched to it and had pulled it about 30 feet. A line of stones trailed out on the ground behind it. Going down the orchard hill, I saw no sign of life in the buildings. When I opened the back door and the yellow colt snaked his head out of his stall and jerked it back again, a calf bawled from the tie-up and the hogs in the cellar set up a chorus of squealing. Old Nell's stall was empty, the spring wagon was gone from the carriage house, and Old Bess didn't answer when I whistled. Ashes and grease had been spilled on the front of the kitchen stove and the floor around it. Grandfather had tracked through the mess and left a trail of footprints leading into his bedroom. Dirty dishes were piled on the kitchen table, the stove, and then the old iron sink. The bottom of it was yellow with rust. After I changed my clothes, I built a fire, heated water, and put the dried-on dishes to soak. Then I swept the kitchen floor and scrubbed it with lye. I didn't do, go into Grandfather's room, but scrubbed the path up the pathway of ashes as far as his door. It took me till noon to get the place cleaned up, the dishes washed, and the sink scoured. The barn wasn't much better than the house. From the condition of his stall, I was sure the yellow colt hadn't been used, but Nell showed that she had been out the greater part of every day. I cleaned the tie-up, carried water to the hogs in the barn cellar, cleaned the horse stalls, and harnessed the yellow colt. 
he was as mean as I'd ever seen him, and I had to use the curry comb in good shape before he'd let me put the bridle on him. In Colorado, I thought I'd handle all kinds of horses, but there was never one like the yellow colt. Old as he was, he reared and fought me all the way to the high field. I knew it was either a case of his forgetting me while I was gone, or that he hated me so much he'd only do what I wanted him to after he'd learned again to be afraid of me. I decided that I'd fussed with him long enough, and that this time I was going to teach him to be afraid in a hurry. On each of the three box he went into before he settled down to his work, I wired his ears together tight enough to pull wads of hair. Each time I forced the big handfuls of dirt into his, into his mouth. After that, he fought the rake, lunged into each pull as if he were trying to tear his collar off, and stood blowing and watching me whenever I stopped for a rest. Now that Grandfather knew about the stone rake, there was no need of hauling the rocks away after each raking, after raking each row, and I thought that a hard afternoon's work would be good for the colt's disposition. I kept him going steadily till it was time for Annie Littlehale to come for her cows. By then, he was glad to stand quietly while I went down to the valley. When I'd come back to the farm, I'd wanted to bring Annie a present, something that would be sort of special. The prettiest things I had, and the ones I liked best, were the silver spurs the cowboys in Colorado had given me for my first roundup. I put one of them into my suitcase and had brought it to the high field with me. I carried it in my hand when I went down over the hill to meet Annie. It wasn't until we'd called hello to each other and Annie was standing right across the stone wall from me that I realized what a silly thing a spur was to give a girl. My face felt as if it were a fire and I sounded just as silly as the spur looked. When I held it out and said, I brought you something. I don't know if you'll have any use for it. Annie took the spur in her hand and turned it over and over. Then she looked up and said, it's beautiful. Where did you get it? It's a riding spur, isn't it? The spur didn't look, did look shiny and nice. I'd been polishing it every time I stopped the yellow colt for a rest, and the light of the setting sun made fire seem to sparkle on the points of the rowel. Mm-hmm, I said. It's a riding spur, but I'm not going to be riding anymore. I wanted you to have it. Then I turned quickly and started climbing the hill. Don't run away, Annie called after me. I'm glad you're back. Uh, we were all worried about Mr. Gould. Is he all right? I only stopped long enough to say, I don't know. I haven't seen him yet. I guess he's gone to an auction. I'll have to get back to the yellow colt before he's tangled up in the harness. Thanks for the present. It's lovely, Annie called when I was partway up the high field. Is there, if there's anything I could do to help, cleaning or cooking or anything, I'll be glad to come over. I guess my grandfather can cook, I called from the top of the hill, and I can wash the dishes and take care of the cleaning, but thank you anyway. Then I hurried back to the yellow colt. I could have turned him loose and let him go to the barn alone, but I led him to the pasture when I went for the cows. The more I kept him with me when I didn't have to fight him, the sooner he'd get used to me again, and the sooner he'd settle down to behaving. Instead of standing quietly at the pasture bars, as they had always done, the cows were restless, looking at three strange calves that were with them. The brindle kicked wickedly at one that was trying to nurse her. At the barnyard, I separated them. But the calves put the calves into the sheep barn and the cows into the tie-up. After I had unharnessed and fed the yellow colt, I went to the house, built a fire, and put potatoes on to boil for supper. Then I lit the lantern and went back to the barn. The brindle cow wouldn't let her twin calves nurse, and it took me nearly an hour to milk her. Her bag was caked, and the warts on her teats were worse than before I went to Boston. She kicked wildly. The milk squirted in every direction. I couldn't catch more than half of it in the pail. I just finished milking the brindle and started on Clarabelle when I heard Grandfather drive into the dooryard. I didn't stop to take the lantern, but hurried out to meet him. He had stopped old Nell by the doorstone and was just going into the summer kitchen when I came out of the barn. I ran the length of the door yard and followed him into the house. When I got there, he had struck a match. 
um, and was lighting a lamp on the pantry table. I've got potatoes on to boil for supper and the chores are nearly done, I said as I came to the doorway. For as much as a full minute, Grandfather just stood looking at me with his mouth a little way open. Then he said, You did come home, Ralphie. You did come home. He took a quick step, threw his arms around me, and pushed his cheek against my chest so hard that his hat fell off. You did come home, boy, he said as gently as he might have said to old Bess. Gory sakes alive, your old grandpa's glad to see you, Ralphie. How be the folks to uh, to Medford? I couldn't keep tears from coming into my eyes, and my voice was a little choky when I said, They're all right. I think there were tears in Grandfather's eyes, too, as he didn't look up at me. Eyes, too. He didn't look up at me, but turned toward his room and said, Your old grandpa's all tuckered out, Ralphie. Don't want no supper. Calculate I'll go to bed. Been off to Lewiston all day of fetching the eggs to market. I'd be back out through the summer kitchen. I started back out through the summer kitchen when he shouted angrily, what in time and tarnation you've been in my room for? I haven't been in your room, I told him. Only mopped as far as the doorway. Then I went to take care of Nell and the rest of the chores. Old Bess had followed Grandfather into the house, and she followed me out. I might not have noticed her at all if she hadn't touched her nose against my hand and whined softly in her throat. As I knelt to pat her, she looked up and whined again, as if she were trying to ask me what the trouble was. She never left my heels till all the chores were done and I'd gone to the house for the night. I got up with the first streaks of daylight, but Grandfather was already in the kitchen when I went downstairs. Smoke was pouring from the stove, and he was stirring banner oats into a kettle of water that wasn't steaming. <laughs> Corey sakes, Corey sakes alive, Ralphie, he sang out as I came through the doorway. Tarnal nice having you home again. I and you has got a heap of work to do before the snow flies. I'd be fixing us a nice mess of victuals so as to put a leg under us for the day. Ain't nothing like a good mess of oatmeal porridge to hold a man's ribs out. Thunderation. Guess I wasn't heeding what I was about. Grandfather had looked up at me as, I, as he spoke, but was still holding the tilted oatmeal package over the pot, and the premium saucer had slipped out. It hit the edge of the iron kettle, broke into a hundred pieces, and scattered over the stove on the floor and into the pot. Ain't that a tarnal shame, he muttered as he picked pieces of china out of the oatmeal with his thumb and forefinger. Nice pretty saucer like that all broke to smithereens. Well, what's the odds? Likely as not, there'll be as pretty a one in the next box, and I don't calculate it's hurt the porridge none. What I don't skim out will sink to the bottom. Did you ever eat porridge with maple syrup on it, Ralphie? Awful good. Fetched a pail of it down from the open chamber whilst Levi was here. It's right there in the cellar way. Pass it here and fetch up a piece of pork out of the barrel. Pick a good fat piece. Fat pork does good with oatmeal. I'll set it a frying whilst you do the chores. Leave the milking to the calves. I don't think they're doing a very good job of it, I said. Don't you think it would be better if I'd milk by hand and feed the calves? That pair of little twin steers is awfully skinny and the brindle won't let them touch her. <clears throat> Grandfather's head jerked up. He looked at me crossly for half a minute and I thought he was going to shout. Don't tell me. But he didn't. He looked back at the pot, stirred in a couple of minutes, stirred it a couple of minutes and said, calculate you might just as leave. Veal calves is fetching a good price off the Lewiston, and butter's 28 cents. Calculate Millie will be coming home most any day now, and she makes awful nice butter. Before I'd much more than started on the chores, Grandfather called to me, me to breakfast, and he was all in a dither when I went to the house. The kitchen was blue with the smoke of burned pork, and the smell of scorched murk oatmeal was so strong it made the air bitter. Come eat your victuals, Ralphie. Come eat your victuals, Grandfather snapped to me while I was washing my face and hands. 
by fire, I got to get an early start. First cast in the market always fetches the high dollar. Ain't no time for dawdling. Before you went off to Boston, didn't you tell me Millie was probably tooked here in Lewiston somewheres? I had to think a minute. Then I said, I'm not sure, but maybe I did. Why'd you tell me that? Well, because that's what she, she said. That, because she said that was where she was going. What? Grandfather shouted at me. When did she tell you? The day she left. Why didn't you tell me? She was hatching it up a pick betwixt you to go off and leave me. Um, no, sir, I told him. We didn't hatch anything up. I don't think she really had any idea at all of going when she said it. She was mad about the flies and came out to the field right after you drove away that morning. That's why I made her the screens. I didn't see or say a word to her after, after the door got broken. Grandfather's voice dropped right down, and he asked, What did she say to you, Ralphie? What was her words? Well, I don't think I remember them at all, but she said she wasn't going to live with the cussed flies for another blessed day, and that she had two minds to go one, two minds to one to go off to Lewiston and get a job in the mill. Grandfather was watching me like a fox watching a chipmunk. What mill, he asked. She didn't say. Is there more than one? Turn a lot of them. Eat your victuals, eat your victuals. Time flies. Hitch old Nell to the spring wagon and fetch them three new calves. I didn't bother about breakfast. Besides the burning the oatmeal, Grandfather had forgotten to salt it, and there was at least 40 flies drowned in the maple syrup. I harnessed Nell, tied the legs of each calf, and loaded it into the wagon. When I drove up from the sheep barn, Grandfather had on his best suit and was waiting for me. Some pot, sought some pans out for you on the a buttery table, he told me. Put the milk to rising in the cellar. I'm calculating on fetching Millie home with me once I come. Then he climbed up onto the wagon seat and spanked old Nell with the reins. Well, that's quite the homecoming. Tough. And I have no idea how he survives without more food than he eats. Uh, pretty neat, though, how he noticed all the things that, that uh, were special to him. And the trees and the, the fields and the animals. And he loves his grandfather. I love you guys.